Elvis, 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 We've lost track of our lives, and so have you, because you've plugged in to watch Elvis Has Left the Movies, the podcast series where my friend Matt and I barrel our way down a flaming highway to hell by watching all 31 Elvis movies. This week, we're talking about my favorite Elvis movie, Kid Galahad, and it's great, and I'm a fan, and that's all you need to know. Goodbye. Just kidding. Matt's here to tell you everything that there is to know about this movie because I'm too lazy to do any of the research. So let's hand it over to him and see what he has to say. It's me, Matt. I'm here. (laughs) I let Morgan just go for it with a new intro. It's pretty good. (laughs) It's pretty 10 out of 10. And what a coincidence because this is the 10th movie in the series. So we're a third of the way through. It sure feels like it. And yeah, in case. But no, I, that said, I like Kid Galahad as well. Yeah. It's because we've got another movie to talk about <laughs> later. After this one, yeah, that we're not very happy about. Next time. Anyways. I feel like at the end of this podcast, we should do a mock up of like, you know, here's the movies you should watch. Here's the movies you could watch if you wanted to. And here's the movies you should pretend don't exist. Yes, for sure. We'll have like a full, we'll do a tier list. (laughs) Yes. Like the whole shebang. Yeah. (laughs) It should be like a live stream event. Give you the one and only Elvis movie guide you'll ever need. Yeah. (laughs) Trust us. We're experts because by then we'll have seen every single one. Yeah. Name two other people in your life who have seen all 31 Elvis movies. I fucking dare you. So, uh, okay, Matt, tell us about the movie. Who made it and why? Okay. So why did they make this? Movie number 10, Kid Galahad from 1962. What did it used to be called? Actually, you'll be glad to hear there is no alternate <laughs> title this time. No alternate titles. Oh, my goodness. Because it's actually a remake. No. To my knowledge, it is the only Elvis movie that is also a remake. It was a remake of a 1937 movie called Kid Galahad that was about a boxer And it was a drama with Edward G. Robinson, Betty Davis, and Humphrey Bogart. Whoa. And it was directed by Michael Curtiz, who directed King Creole. What the heck? That's interesting. And I also watched it. So we're going to set aside a little time (laughs) for me to do a quick compare and contrast. They're actually pretty different, unsurprisingly. I'm not surprised to hear that at all. But the bare bones are there. So what are those bare bones? Well, I'll give the synopsis of this movie. Well, number one. Elvis comes in on a hot truck. He's not wearing a seatbelt. He's very lucky to survive. Then he goes to a garage and they say, my garage is ugly, blah, blah, blah. And then Elvis goes to go fight some dudes in a fighty rink thing because there's a guy and he's like, I don't have any job for you, you schmuck. You can go get beat up in the rink for all I care. And Elvis is like, that sounds like a good idea. And then he punches a guy out and he's like, do I still get my $5? And then they're like, yeah. And then they're going to make a boxer out of him. And then the guy's sister shows up and she's like, ooh, I'm a lady and I want to boinko boinko Elvis's And then, after all that's said and done, some like mobster guys from New York come down and they're like, this thing's gonna go the way we tell you to make it go and blah blah blah. And then they smush up some guy's hands and that makes the other guy angry. And Elvis is like, oh my god, I respect you now because you stood up for yourself. And then uh, Elvis wins the big fight and then he marries the sister 
and the other lady is also there and she's like i'm so happy that you're a real man now to the other guy not elvis and then they get married too and a father shows up and a priest i mean not a father like a dad could you be that would be great elvis's dad shows up and he's like sometimes i place bets no just kidding elvis's priest that he and the lady go to to get married shows up and he's like sometimes i place bets the end (laughs) oh boy I did it. <laughs> uh, so let's unpack that. <laughs> well, wait. Yeah, I didn't even finish. You just steamrolled it all. It's fine. <laughs> I was going to say this movie came out August 29th, 1962. Is another United Artists movie. <laughs> the same studio that bought us. Follow that dream. Sorry. Sorry. We're a little excited. <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, the synopsis. <laughs> we'll do this for next time. I'll bring the synopsis in, and then I'll let you go off. Okay. Because without any structure, these people have nothing to hang on to. They're going to just out of control. Oh, true. I guess so. So the one-sentence plot summary. After completing his military service, a young man takes a job as a sparring partner at a gym, the owner of which sees potential in him as a professional fighter and takes him under his wing. Nice. Pretty much. That's not quite what happens, though. Well, that's because it's an Elvis movie, so they throw in a bunch of hoopla yeah, so it's not quite what happens. Elvis shows up to a, a lodge, and there's guys who fight there. Elvis doesn't want to be a fighter. He's like a mechanic. And the guy is literally like, if you go get yourself beat up, I'll give you $5. And Elvis is like, well, I need the money. And so there's a couple of roles in this movie. There's the guy who runs and owns the fighting camp and the team of fighty boys. Yes. Then there's the coach of the fighters. Mm-hmm. So the coach of the fighters is the guy that like takes Elvis under the wing and shows him how to get into the ring and throw punches or, or whatever it is he does. And the guy who runs the establishment is kind of like past his prime and he's made some mistakes and he's gotten involved with some seedy characters and he's like trying to live his life on the straight and narrow but like It's just difficult to keep making good choices and whatever. So Elvis thinks he's a good guy, but like a lot of the community has had it with him and they don't want to deal with him anymore, including his girlfriend who's been hanging around for like three or four years. His, and I'm throwing air quotes, his fiance for three, yeah, for three plus years he's been tagging along with this nonsense. Which at the time would have been a really unseemly relationship for a lady because you you can't be unmarried and have anything going for you in the 1960s apparently so that whole angle and then they find out that elvis is really good at getting beat up and has a pretty strong uh left hook or something who fucking knows he can just take out a dude in one punch yeah pretty much he's one punch man he lets himself get punched in the face for like five minutes straight yeah without blocking or anything and then he gives one punch and the guy goes down that is his amazing unbeatable strategy yeah that's his titular move yes (laughs) So they're really excited and they want to make Elvis an actual fighter as part of the team. Then the uh, the guy who's running the team owes a lot of money to a bunch of different people. So he calls his sister up to loan some money from her. She agrees to send him the money. But part of that she decides is she's going to come down and see what it is he's actually doing with the money and how it's being spent and what exactly is going on with her older brother. And when she does that, she runs into Elvis and she goes, doki, doki, doki. So she gets really excited 
And her brother, the manager of the team, is like, oh, my kid's sister knows about boys. Disgusting. And then he gets really mad at Elvis. And then uh, the girl and Elvis go on a date and there's some other things that happen. He does like a couple of fights and they establish that the mob is like in on this and they want Mm -hmm. money Mm -hmm. and they send bodyguards to hang around. Something about an old case where some guy got beat up by some dudes and he knew about it but won't say he knew about it because the mob is giving him a hard time and they're trying to like sleazeball him into the mob world or whatever and uh, anyway Elvis and the lady go on a date they decide that they're going to get married Elvis comes back and the brother is like ah my sister marry a bum bleh that's so gross and they're fighting and the his like fiance comes down and she's like oh this is great they're gonna get married everything's great and he's like no i i don't want her marrying some schmuck and she dead ass turns to him and is like well at least he isn't asking her to hang around for a couple of years and the guy like i really liked that point in the movie because it was just i don't know it was really good timing the way that she just came out and said it and was like it's what everyone was thinking yeah it's a great moment in movies when the characters say exactly what you're thinking and then you you just be like yeah that's right tell them off yes yeah you got them so yeah she they get in a fight and then she takes off she's like i've had it i can't do this anymore she leaves and he is like staking out her place or basically stalking her i guess so romantic you know whatever and um He's like trying to get her to come back and trying to, you know, get his relationship back up on the up and up. Meanwhile, the coach for the team is alone in the place. And then the mobster guys come and they bust up his hands because they want insurance that Elvis is going to fail in the next fight because they all have a lot of money riding on it. Mm -hmm. So they want him to get cut up real bad. And they don't want the coach who's really good at dressing wounds to be able to dress his wounds. It's kind of weird, but. I don't know. Anyway, he gets all beat up all bad just in time for the big brother manager guy to come back and be like, oh, who did this? And the the New York guys are like, we did it, boss. <laughs> and he's like, no. And then he like beats them up. And then Elvis comes and beats them up. And then Elvis like looks at him. And he's like, you did it. You stood up for your morals and shit. And then he's happy. And uh, then they go and they win the big match. And then the fiancé comes back because she heard that he beat up the New York guys and is fighting for what's right finally. And maybe now he'll do right by her and they'll get married. And um, they win a lot of money from the fight because everybody bet on Elvis. And then they Elvis won because of course he does. And they get happily ever after and it's uh, pretty okay. The end. Sure. Yeah. Let me go through my... I like my original synopsis. Yeah, better. of course. <laughs> Let me go through my just like specific little bullet point notes. Yes. While I was watching. So the place, the, the, the it's Cream Valley, New York. Yeah. Yeah, it's called Cream Valley. <laughs> uh, God. Which is great. Ugh. Actually, right off the bat, I wrote, I liked the reveal of Elvis singing on the back of the truck. It's a great intro. Yeah. Even though, as I said, totally unsafe. What the heck is he doing? Yeah, it was really, really dangerous. The camera move is nice. Like, it, like you're, you're alongside the truck and you hear him singing over the soundtrack. And then it's revealed that, like, there he is. He's just on the back of the truck singing a song. Yeah. Yeah. Then he shows up in Cream Valley. <laughs> and it's the home of Grogan's Gaelic Gardens, which is the, like, inn slash training ground for boxers. Right. It's all very foresty and nice. It was actually filmed in California, even though it's set in, like... It's very pretty. Yeah. Like, that. I think that's probably why I liked this movie as much as I did. 
as a kid and again on rewatching because it's just like all of Elvis's other movies are like in the desert, on the boat, in the ocean, you know, on some rocks. Or worst of all, they're on back lots, you know, with that rear projection that looks yeah. so fake. Yes. Like this is a real location and it's all like you could you could smell the pine, you know. It's like Yeah, nice. it's very, very pretty. And the mountains in the background, it's just like, Mwah, you know. Mm-hmm. They shot this in Idlewild, California. Wow. It, it really, like, I didn't know that California looked like that. It's, yeah, every state has like one little pocket of like where you're like it looks like a completely different place and so they can get away with shooting i mean realistically it's probably been burnt down by now poor california oh because it looks like prime burning real estate for california wildfires right when he first shows up he's still wearing his military uniform thing and then he meets dolly who's the fiance we're gonna get into all the characters and the actors Mm -hmm. she offers him some coffee and then she says want some sugar and he goes sure and he grabs the sugar cube and just like eats it gulps it down yeah which i thought was like a weird thing but i was like okay i'm kind of i did too well apparently he eats it because he's so hungry yes he hasn't eaten because he decided to take the mode of transportation of sitting on the back of a truck to get to where he's going yeah it was really strange i don't know uh my by the i know Mm -hmm. we're jumping ahead but my favorite side character is is the chef i like him yes i was gonna bring him up he's great yeah i was gonna say all right yeah you know how we have like Elvis's name, which we're going to mention in a moment, and like we always have, like maybe an outfit we talk about. We should also start a new category of like Elvis's goal of the thing he wants, because every movie he. So this one, it's like I want my own garage, and next week it's yes. like I want my boat, and it's every time <laughs> he's after this one yeah. material item that will just complete his life, and then oh, along the way, I guess I can also find a girl, and that'll be nice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that would be pretty fun. I think that would be pretty he fun. He wants a garage this time. He wants his own garage. Yeah. Because he's, a, yeah, he like spruces up an old jalopy. Yes. That he finds in the barn and like it's all painted nice like cherry red and mm-hmm. he's driving around. There's some fun stuff there. Maybe I'll return to some other of these bits and pieces here and there. But for now, where do we want to jump onto? Do we want to get to the songs? There's seven of them. I mean, we can. I didn't like any of the songs because I don't think any of the songs were actually Elvis songs. I think they're all cover songs that he's doing or something like that. Uh, I think the majority of these are written for this movie. Could be. That also makes them shitty, though. <laughs> well, yeah. This is what happens when you're literally like sticking some poor folks in a room and being like, pump out seven songs for the next movie. Oh, you have like two hours. So sad. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to talk about the songs. I'll list them. Yeah, list them. And then that's it. Like, we won't even bother giving context. Yeah, okay, you list them, and then I'll just say good or bad. Okay, number one, king of the whole wide world. Bad. Number two, this is living. Bad. Number three, riding the rainbow. Super bad. Num- um, actually, wait, I need to pause there, because riding the rainbow is the one he sings in the car. Remember how you were like, I fear that every time we're going to see Elvis in a car now, he's yes. gonna, yeah, they yes. have another scene where he's driving around and singing. As I was watching it, I turned to my boyfriend and I said, look, it's another movie where Elvis sings in a car. <laughs> where the radio is magically like an instrumental that he can sing along to, or maybe he, yes. his voice is coming out of the radio <laughs> and he's singing with himself. Like, who knows? Yeah. So anyway, it's bad. Yeah. Number four, home is where the heart is bad nice sentiment bad song (laughs) uh number five i got lucky good actually yeah that's the big like there's a big jamboree independence day party and they they say they do the twist they do a little twisting a little shimmying because i got lucky and oh my gosh does the twist ever look good on that lead female character 
like I like va va boom, you know. Mm-hmm. She she was very attractive lady too. She was so pretty. You're talking about the sister. Did you recognize her? Maybe I did because I I just couldn't keep my eyes off her. She's just so pretty. She's got big blue eyes and she's just so so pretty. Couldn't help it. Who is she? She's a holdover from Blue Hawaii. Is she the girl from Blue Hawaii? Yeah. I didn't even fucking recognize her. New haircut, boom, there you go. New character. Wow. She's styled very differently too. Mm-hmm. And she's not playing part Hawaiian, which is great, so that helps. <laughs> that is great, yeah. I do remember too, uh, really thinking that she was pretty in Blue Hawaii. I remember really, really liking the Blue Hawaii girl. Mm-hmm. She's just so beautiful. Like, I think she's very closely my favorite. Yeah, maybe we'll also do like a... Who's our favorite co-star? Who who we feel pairs the best with Elvis? The best? Mm. I mean, that's a tough one because I really, I feel bad saying it, but I really don't even remember all of the different girls. Like, I didn't even remember this one, and she's from Blue Hawaii. Which we launched, like, literally just, yeah. Yeah. But it's fine. I don't know. Because there's just, there's too many. There's too many ladies. There's too many songs. Right. There's two more songs. Yeah. Six is a whistling tune. Bad. Yep, and then seven is love is for lovers. Bad. Uh, oh, Elvis's character's name is Walter Gulick. Uh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we move on to the writer, directors, and things? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So this is directed by Phil Carlson. Bad. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? You've given me too much power. <laughs> So who is he? Phil Carlson directed the 1968 movie The Wrecking Crew with Dean Martin. Oh. Which was featured prominently in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's the movie with Sharon Tate that she goes to see. Oh. Then we have uh, the 1973 movie Walking Tall, which actually I recently watched only a few months ago. I think I remember that. It's probably better known because there was a remake in 2004 with The Rock while, when he was still going by The Rock and not Dwayne Johnson. <gasps> Right, right. It's oh the movie gosh. where a dude becomes the sheriff and he beats people up with a big two by four. That's the movie. Yeah, that's so bizarre. But the original is, it is any pretty good? decent. Yeah, it's it's like yeah. a seventies drama. It's actually you know how the seventies were like really fatalistic. Like it's pretty dour. It does not have a fun happy mm-hmm. ending. I think the word well fatalistic is the right one, but nihilistic is the other one. Sure. Movies once they hit the seventies, and especially, do you want to know why that is? If we're gonna, can we go on a tangent? Sure. I got a little tangent because I know about this. So one of the reasons why films and movies and media from the 1970s started to take a really like fucked up turn was in part because of the war in Vietnam, which was the biggest thing, but also in part because of the way crime had evolved through media. So crime as we know it started with pulp crime with, with Sherlock Holmes and then eventually turned into um, what in film it turned into noir, which was you know Humphrey Bogart and um, uh, you know the Maltese Falcon. That's based off of a very popular crime noir book, and so these pulp fiction, pulp noir books, pulp crime books started to like fill this really huge role in uh, fiction and thereby in media. 
And in the 1970s, they followed down that path of like after the youth in revolt rise, there was this path in fiction of a lot of writers writing media that was really nihilistic and really like out there and wild that went not as a result of Vietnam, but in congruence with it. And then, of course, media picked it up and started making really grisly movies and shit Mm -hmm. like that. Movies like Death Wish, starring Charles Bronson, who plays the coach in this movie. Ah, that's where I recognized him from. Yes. I knew I recognized him. Charles Bronson had like a long career. He was in The Magnificent Seven in 1960 and The Great Escape Mm -hmm. in 1963. So like around the period of this movie, that's like what he was playing, those kind of roles. Yes. He was like a star. He was like an A-list almost. Yeah, I recognized him from The the Magnificent Seven. Definitely is where I remember him from. He's Mm -hmm. the guy who's chopping wood. Yes. And uh, just a tip for the fans uh my favorite character from magnificent seven is that character because that character is based off of my favorite character from seven samurai yeah he's the like humble bumbling bodyguard Mm -hmm. he's the sweet lackadaisical samurai i can't remember if he lives or dies anyway let's talk about elvis again. sounds like a good excuse to (laughs) rewatch seven samurai right oh god i just want to watch more akira kurosawa movies yeah i just want to say i want to make a note that charles bronson is probably like he was like the liam neeson of his day he was one of the first actors to get that like renaissance with the movie death wish from 1974 Ah. he was 52 when he made that movie and then he just was in that mode for pretty much the rest of his career that's pretty cool making all the death wish sequels and like yeah he became an older vigilante and so he set the template for like all those other liam neeson's and the dad movies of dads the dad getting old but then getting tough and then (laughs) getting revenge (laughs) Getting old and getting buff. <laughs> exactly. I haven't worked out in the past 10 years, but I look fucking hot. <laughs> and if you recall, his co-star, the wife who dies at the beginning of Death Wish, is Hope Lang, who is in Wild in the Country with Elvis. Oh. All the threads, they connect. Yeah. Let's talk about the cinematographer now. Okay. What did he do? Burnett Guffey. Oh, Jesus. There's like a... Why is he? And how does he well, do? No, we have like a, a... There's a consistency of like... I don't know if the cinematography trade attracts people with weird names or what, but like the cinematographers, we've had a lot of strange named cinematographers so far. I think that cinematographers are like people who couldn't be directors because movie producers were like, we can't put this guy's name on a fucking film. And so they're like, you can be the cinematographer. <laughs> Maybe. That's how Hollywood works, baby. But the, yeah, the cinematographer of this movie is Burnett Guffey. All right. And he is a two-time Oscar winner. Oh, wow. Um, That's not, sad. Were they, were they, well, I'm just, wait, did he win two Oscars and then make Elvis? or did He, he won one Elvis? Oscar before and one Oscar after. Oh, so that's a little bit better. Can you, I just. Yeah, it's not like his career was over after he made an Elvis movie. Well, although we. Well, you know. We should specify these things because most people would probably assume that, yeah, after this, you're done. Well, it's not even uh, my, po- like, where I'm coming from is, like, it's not that so much as it's, like, imagine winning an Oscar and being so hard pressed for work that's your your agent comes to you and he's like you want to be the cinematographer for elvis movie (laughs) for this one i wouldn't mind because it's shot on location it actually looks really nice yeah it is really nice it is really pretty so uh what were the movies that he was the cinematographer what did he win the oscar for two-time oscar winner he won his first oscar for from here to eternity 1953 okay a movie we brought up before because it's the one where they're kissing on the beach and the wave takes over them because oh. oh mickey o'shaughnessy who was in jailhouse rock was in that movie i see 
and then he does this movie and some other things in between and then he gets his second oscar for 1967's bonnie and clyde oh very cool which yeah we were just talking about 70s and like nihilism and stuff but there's actually a really good book Mm -hmm. if you're a big movie head like me (laughs) you might be interested there's a book called pictures at a revolution all right and it is all about the best picture nominees for 1967 because it was like the the year where like Bonnie and Clyde is like a really like gritty like as far as these things it go. It is. It was like they, this they is... shoot them up. They, yeah, they no, just th- shoot them up. Super violent. This was when the studio system started like breaking down. So it was like this in, the independent like new way was coming in in America. And then right. the one weird movie that was also nominated for best picture was uh Dr. Doolittle with Rex Harrison. Oh, yeah. So they're like, here's all of the pictures of like, this is the new Hollywood. This is what's happening. And then here's the one weird holdout. Yeah. That got like a bunch of nominations and didn't win anything. And it was just like, this is the old style that we're getting rid of. Yeah, it is actually really, really interesting if you get the opportunity to learn about like how Hollywood and studios shifted their like their business ideas and how they marketed certain things and what they put money into and how they dealt with movies. There was a really interesting shift between like the 1960s and the 1980s. And it's because of that shift that movies are the way they are today. You know how like there's always the summer blockbuster now. There's always the the big musical remake. There's always yada, yada, yada. Like they're just pumping out you know, these really like cynical cash grabs. And that's like has a lot to do with how the cinema changed the way it thought about which projects to take and how to hire people and, and, and all kinds of things. It went through a really big change during the 70s that it just makes you think like, man, things could have been different. Yeah, You know, if they had stuck with that, like really like individual unique and like making art you know making like actual art which is what a lot of that um nihilist movie shit was doing is because people were like we don't want to watch elvis three times a year yes we want to watch someone get blown up (laughs) so yeah i found it just to like specify so if you're interested it's a book called pictures at a revolution five movies and the birth of the new hollywood it was written by mark harris came out in 2009 and the five nominees that year were the weird one, which is Dr. Doolittle, which was a box office bomb Yeah. as well. But then is, is Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate. Oh, right. Yeah. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. So all pretty, pretty gritty, yeah. gritty movies. Like even, even The Graduate, like it, it wasn't a, a specifically gritty movie, but it was really indecent in theme. Like it dealt with, you know, when you look at fucking Elvis movies and they're like, oh, here's a married woman and she's wayward. The Graduate takes that idea and is very, very, very realistic about what the power dynamic of that relationship would look like. It's very interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should rename this podcast Movies About Elvis, but instead we talk about better movies. That's been the unofficial <laughs> name in my mind the whole time. <laughs> Okay, we've got the cinematographer. We're done with that, yeah, yeah. Did we do the director already? Yes, Phil Carlson. Right, 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 right. Yeah. We did those tangents, we did the cinematography tangents. Now we're going to talk about the actors and how shite they are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'll bring up the writer real quick. Okay. <laughs> so once again, this is a remake. 
So the original right. story writer gets a credit, even though... It's based off a book. Yeah, it is based off a book. Once again, we're dealing with a uh, book adaptation. And this one was written by Francis Wallace, who was a sports writer, author, screenwriter, and commentator for both radio and television. Oh, interesting. So he did this thing, and then that became 1937's Kid Galahad, and then the guy they brought in to adapt the remake <laughs> was named William Fay. This was actually his only film credit. Everything else he worked on was in TV. Oh, interesting. Um, but one of the most noteworthy things that I saw was the classic episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents Man from the South. Yes. It was adapted from a Raul Dahl short story. And it's about a dude that bets a guy that he can flick his lighter however many times in a row without it catching and not like lighting. And the guy says, okay, I'll take your bet. And if it doesn't do that, I get one of your fingers. Right. And it's really great. It's so interesting. It was also made into the best segment from the anthology movie Four Rooms. That was the Quentin Tarantino directed oh. segment was called The Man from Hollywood and it was a riff on that. Interesting. Don't watch any other part of Four Rooms. Uh, yeah, I heard it was really bad. But you can watch that one segment. Yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing it was really, really bad. Okay, so we talked about the the writer and why he wrote this. Who was in this movie? All right, I will talk about the actors. Okay. Number one, Elvis Presley. He does okay in this movie, actually. Yeah, it's pretty fun. There's a part where he's in the ring and he's beating a guy up and he pulls actually a really good face. Where I was like, oh, look, he's acting. That's good. Yeah, all of the like actual boxing scenes are pretty fun. Yeah. Because it really, it helps shake things up because they do like all like that close quarters, really tight claustrophobic shots. And then actually the final fight scene, they're like pulling every angle they can possibly like think of. Yeah. There's like, it's from below, it's from above. It's like all over the place. So I like, I like that. It's fun. I think, yeah, I think they, um, I think all in all, like, it's not the greatest movie. It's, 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 it's no Raging Bull, but. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, I will say this. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of Elvis movies that rely on an archetype. And this movie is no different. But I, I really feel like this movie does the archetype best. Yes. There's a lot of other movies like Blue Hawaii that they run this archetype, but they suck. But Kid Galahad, you know, has the tropes and it's not absolute friggin' bananas to sit through. It's just like, okay, this is, you know, an Elvis movie. Sure. Great. You get like the mobster dudes and they're like, he's better lose that fight. And it's like, you know, all the beats, but it's not, it, it works. It's not so cynical too. Like there's some parts, like there's some parts where that are a little cynical, like when Elvis and the girl go to meet the priest and he's like, you don't got a second chance if you got married because <laughs> divorce is a sin. <laughs> there, yeah, there's the part earlier when they, they have a big smooch in the garage and then she says, what do you do when you feel like this? And he says, people usually get married, I understand. It's about the best and safest thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of movie. Uh, you know, so so there's there's you know they're made in the '60s and they hated women, so it's like you're always gonna get that. But uh, you know, other than that, it, it's not the worst. It really isn't the worst, and you can absolutely get through it without it being like too cringy. Or mm -hmm. I would watch it again. Like this is one of the the Elvis movies that I would watch again. I'm sure. Well, you have many times. It's your favorite movie. I know. This is only my second time watching it. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I would I would watch it again. So it was just the sheer memory of it in your mind as being like this. Yeah. Movie. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And I'm glad that it held up in the way that it did, because I, I remember it not being like an amazing movie, but I just remember being like, wow, you know, it's just, it's the perfect Elvis movie, I think. Yes. Not too good, not too bad. Without getting ahead of ourselves, it's probably going to end up being higher tier Elvis. Yeah. A recommendation as one that is worth seeking out. 
Yeah. <laughs> but there's not too many things where you go like, ooh, ooh, like, you know, that hasn't aged well. Yeah. Ooh, they just make you feel so icky, don't they? Gosh. Here's a fun bit of uh, filmmaking appreciation I'll throw in. So I really liked, there was a small moment of like show don't tell and actually it never really comes up again but there's a part when he's first training with charles bronson's character and there's this short little bit where elvis looks at charles bronson like walking around the ring and he notices he's all like bow-legged yeah and he just kind of notes that and it's and then that's it it's just like this small moment i was really appreciated that they just threw that in there mm-hmm. as like oh there's some there's some history there you can kind of see it but they don't say anything and it doesn't really come up again it's just yeah it um it comes up again in subtext. Sure. In the part where they're busting up his hands, the mobsters mm. are busting up his hands. They're talking about like, you were one of the greatest. You could have been the best. Yada yada. Of course. They're talking about you know something like that. Mm-hmm. And we don't get um a love triangle. Yeah. Which was nice. Although we do have. Yes. We do have. It's it's not the first time in an Elvis movie that we have a parent couple and the Elvis couple. Right. So we have like the the older couple who's more mature and supposed to be, you know, figuring out what like they're trying to f- essentially fix their marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's Elvis and and the young people and and they're always like we're in love and then that's how the older people are like, "Oh, that's what we're supposed to be doing." It reminded me in that way, yeah, of loving you, actually. It was just like yeah. all the way back in movie number 2 when we were so young and naive. Yeah. I doubt we'll have many more of that. Because uh, Elvis is starting to get old. Scan there. Yeah. Not too old. He's not actually getting too old, but he's starting to get to an age where, like, he's going to be the person who has to fix his marriage and not the young lover guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but he'll, man, he'll hang on to that as long as he can oh, before we get boy. to that. <laughs> yeah, because I actually liked the part where he's, like, wooing Rose, is the sister's name. Mm-hmm. And the other lady is just in the background. She's just smiling. She's having a good time. Yeah, she's enjoying She's in a really nice blue dress. Yeah, that, I did you like You want to talk about some costuming? Yeah, let's talk about some, some of the costuming here. Uh, the blue dress was actually is fine. I didn't like it particularly. I don't like that off-the-shoulder, crumpled-up bodice look. Oh, yeah, it's a little frilly. Yeah. Sure. It's just, you know, it, it's a cheap way to make a dress. It's used with, like, elastic so that you don't have to do any fitting. And um, it's still a popular style. That's It's very youthful. Um, but I just am not personally fond of it because it takes away from the, the silhouette of a lady and the yellow dress that the sister wears is fabulous. I really liked that dress. It was a really great way to establish that she was younger, that she was youthful with this really bright, daring color, but it wasn't so aggressive to suggest that she was a bad girl. Right. So it was completely appropriate for her character. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, uh, really just, uh, she just looks, I think I'm just actually in love with this lady. <laughs> She's, She's real so pretty. pretty. She's so pretty. And that yellow dress contrasts real nice with that red car when they're all hanging out. And he's wearing like blue, like a yeah. blue, like a powder blue. So like, yeah. it's a really good color stuff going on in this movie. Yeah, really solid color. You 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 rarely see colors like that in today's um, fashion. Mm-hmm. You still see them, but they're harder to get because colors are mixed now in like big factories and 
what you need is a smaller dye lot to make a color that's nuanced, that it's bright, but it's not too bright, and it's yellow, but it's a specific kind of yellow where it's pale, but it's bright, and it's, you know, yeah. it's hard to make those colors anymore. If you, if you ever get a chance to take a look at somebody's vintage fabric collection, Ooh. oh my God, it's just, they don't even make material the same way they used to make make material and you can tell that the quality is so different when you go to like a fabric land and you're buying cotton you're getting fucking ripped off my guy <laughs> sucks yeah so it's it's fun to watch these movies and see the fashion yeah i'm enjoying it i have two more notes actually that i just found here that i want to point out so this is the second movie in a row where we uh name drop sex we say that say the word sex yep we say the word sex two movies in a row va va voom and the other thing I was going to bring up is that our lady Dolly, she's wearing a brassiere at one part. Oh. When she's packing up to leave. Because, of course, when she sees that Elvis, and when she sees the young couple doing their lovey-dovey thing. And getting married. And she's finally fed up with Willie. Being the side piece. Willie and his, like, nonsense that he won't commit. Yeah. She's packing up, and then he just, like, barges in on her, and she's still changing. She's actually just wearing a bra. Yeah. And I went, like, whoa, Okay. And they have this argument, yeah. and uh, and she's and he keeps she keeps trying to put the trying to put the shirt on. He keeps being like, rain, rain, rain. Yeah, of course. Um, Great. What a, what a stand up guy. Yeah. So I'm just saying like, ooh, they're slipping in as risque as you can get in these Elvis movies. Yeah. And being like, ooh, yeah. look at us. God. Especially the ones not made by Paramount. We should specify. Right. Paramount is the Disney like Dream Factory version of Elvis. I just hate it. <laughs> United Artists was actually, like we said, is more of an independent studio. Right. So, like, they were able to do things. It was. This is why this movie is actually worthwhile. <laughs> this is also why the movie didn't make as much money. So they had to go back to yeah. Paramount to get another big paycheck. God. Like our cash cow. Ooh, it's. It's so bad. It's just so bad. How back well. to the well. Um. Okay. Can, let's. Yeah, you can see it happen right in real time. All right. All right. Let's let's talk about the actors actually. Yes, because I actually really have a few things to say. I really want to talk about Gig Young. Okay. So Gig Young is the guy who plays Willie Grogan, who owns the whole thing. He's the one who doesn't want to commit. He's the one that uh, all the troubles are happening in the bet with the dudes. The yep. The bad boys muscling in. Yep. So you're wondering, Gig Young? That's an interesting name. It is. It's not his real name. Of course not. He was born Byron Barr. That's a way cooler name. And he actually did a few roles in, early in his career with that name. But here's the most interesting thing. I didn't actually know this at all. So I was really happy to find this in the research. He did a movie in 1942 called The Gay Sisters. Yeah. And his character's name in that movie is Gig Young. Oh. And so he actually adopted his character name as his stage name. That's interesting. Because it was one of his first big roles and I guess a lot of the reviewers, too, were just like, this Gig Young, like, they were referring to as his character name. Ah, interesting. And he is in my favorite Twilight Zone episode of all time. Oh. The fifth episode of the whole series called Walking Distance, where he plays this uh, middle-aged businessman who goes back to his hometown, and then he realizes he's actually gone back to his hometown back in time into his childhood. Yes, I remember that episode. It's like the most poignant piece of media about nostalgia and it, like it really holds up they actually had a 60th anniversary twilight zone celebration in 2019 that they screened on the big screen it was like a documentary and it was uh six episodes of the show were included as well mm -hmm. and that was one of them included and i went to go see it and it was uh, so good nice but 
he also won an Oscar after this movie. So once again, at least, you know, he's still going after being out. This wasn't just a, a low point in his career. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it was, but I don't know. I think anybody who's working in an Elvis, I think even for Elvis, being in Elvis movies was a low point in his career, even though it was wildly successful for him. Yes. Uh, he won Best Supporting Actor for the 1969 film They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Oh my God, I want to see that movie so bad. Have you seen it? I have. Wow. That movie... Once again, going back to that late 60s into the early 70s, this is new Hollywood movie. This is, it's really good. I've heard it's fucking wild. I heard it's wild. For, for those of you who don't know, I'll give you a bit of background. Sure. It's, it's actually, I'm pretty sure They Shoot Horses, Don't They, is an earlier movie from the 30s. It's based on a novel from 1935. There we go. So They Shoot Horses, Don't They is a book and a movie based off of swing dancers people who used to dance competitively in ballrooms. Marathon dancing, they called it. Yeah, marathon dancing. And when you drop is when you're out. You dance until you drop. You dance until you break a f- an ankle yeah. or until you pass out or something like that. Times were tough. People needed entertainment, but they also needed money. And it's like it was a really desperate thing. Yeah, and it was one of the only ways that young people, especially young black people, could get into a scene and make money based off of their talents. Really interesting stuff, yeah. And he plays the MC of the competition who's like manipulating the whole time. There's actually, yeah, there's a lot of good parallels can be drawn to like the way they depict these swing dance competitions, these marathon dancing and like reality television. Ooh. Cause in the, they shoot horses don't they without saying too much, he's like trying to create like narratives for the contestants and he's like manipulating stuff. It's. And he won, he deservedly won Best Supporting Actor. He's really good in it. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Gig Young. That's cool. cool. Yeah. Neat. Who else? Then we got Dolly Fletcher, who is his long-suffering fiance, fiance played yeah. by Lola Albright. Yeah. Um, She's more like Lola Albright, because she does a pretty okay job in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I liked her in this. Yeah. Uh, she has a bit of boxing movie history background oh really because she appeared in a smaller part in the 1949 movie champion with kirk douglas Hmm. which is a boxing film of the day she got 99 credits did a lot of tv (laughs) she got 99 credits but a bitch ain't one (laughs) sorry (laughs) i gotta go off on this because this is an early 60s movie that actually fits the mold of weird new hollywood okay so there was a movie in 1961 that she starred in called a cold wind in august and it was this low-budget, independent, psychological exploitation drama. Like, there's a bunch of different things attached to it on the Wikipedia article. But get this. So she plays a mentally unbalanced burlesque show stripper in her 30s who becomes involved in a torrid romance with a 17-year-old boy. Ooh, very interesting. In 1961. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. So I was like, whoa. This, I, Yeah, more than like finding out about like, oh, they did this and this. Yeah, just a new movie that I've never heard of that like I can really sink my teeth into. I was like, ooh, I got to track this down. Yeah. So A Cold Wind in August. And like it made a big splash when it came out. Like everyone's like, oh, oh, oh my God. Ooh, la, la. But they all agreed that like her performance was fantastic. Ooh. But of course, isn't this the kind of thing that the Academy is going to recognize because it's like right. too independent and it's too too much. We're too early. If this had been a movie that yeah. came out in 1967, along with those other things, Probably maybe. Probably would have gotten, yeah. But we're bringing, uh, you know, we're shining a spotlight on it now. Yes. Okay, so now let's go on to uh, the lady, the young woman, 
Yes. The, the love interest, Joan Blackman. So like I said, we just had her in Blue Hawaii as Maylee Duval. She's back as Rose Grogan, the younger sister to Willie. And actually, I really glossed over because we were, I, there was so many characters in Blue Hawaii that like, yeah, we were just like rattling off stuff. So I mentioned, I name dropped that she was in 1960s, The Great Imposter, but then I didn't actually say what that movie was. And that one's interesting because it's a Tony Curtis movie that is more or less Catch Me If You Can before Catch Me If You Can was a thing. Okay. Like it was, it actually took, like they shot it and it came out in 1960. It was actually a few years before Frank Abagnale Jr. started going on his excapades. And it's actually based on another, like a real guy, a, a, a true life story as well. But it was a completely different dude that also did this kind of stuff back in the day. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, I just wanted to actually mention what that movie was this time. Right. But otherwise, she does not return for any other Elvis movies. So she's, I see. she does it twice. I mean, you don't want to roll the dice on this, like. She was in Blue Hawaii, and she's like, oh, I need to do one more that's better than this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, who else? Let's talk about the cook, your favorite character, the cook. Yeah, let's talk about him briefly. Yes. So Maynard, the cook, is played by Robert Emhart, yeah. who has 164 credits, mostly TV, actually only 25 films. And because of his build, and he's a character actor, mostly cast as villains, usually a crooked businessman or a corrupt policeman. Oh, interesting. I like this character. He's a he's a nice, friendly chef. Yeah, and he's like, oh, things ought to be more lovely and beautiful. And oh, you, you want a sandwich? Gotta feed those boys. <laughs> he probably relished being able to play a part like this, yeah. where he wasn't just being like his usual, you know, villainous self. Right. He's in, he plays Mr. Butterfield in Three Ten to Yuma. Another Three Ten to Yuma person. Oh, cool. Ooh. And I've got yet another weird independent early '60s movie that has some really interesting social stuff in it. Uh-huh. In 1962, he appears in Roger Corman's The Intruder. Oh, I know about this movie. Now, Roger Corman, movie like movie maverick, you know, yeah. amazing long career. He would always turn a profit. He knew how to make them cheap and quick, but good. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of like cult classics. The original Little Shop of Horrors, which turned into the musical. He did the original. All that stuff. 1962's The Intruder. It stars William Shatner as this suave-looking young man in his pristine white suit, and he shows up in this small southern town, and he starts drumming up the racial tensions between everyone and playing them against each other. And it was, like, really, like, whoa, damn. Yeah, very cool. And we get to look forward to him. Yes. The actor Robert Emhart in one more Elvis movie. He's going to show up again later on. Nice. I'll be happy to see him. Yeah. If I, if I can recognize him, because I didn't recognize the girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll see. Um, do we have to talk about more actors? Well, we already talked about Charles Bronson. Yep. So the only one I wanted to bring up was uh, Ed Asner. Who is the bad guy from New York? No, he's the... So he actually only... He's uncredited because he only has like two scenes he's in. But he plays the assistant district attorney who shows up at willie's and it was like oh yeah that guy yeah i know he's only two scenes but and i'm like oh shit because ed this was his film debut oh so he had he had started in tv in 57 but this is only 62 so he's still this is early enough in his career but i mean he's all he's already like a middle-aged dude like he got like a late start yeah and he yeah. is 91 right now and still going strong wow crazy are you ready for this number okay 413 credits that's a lot for a guy who started in the 60s? I know. He's played Santa multiple times, most famously probably in the 2003 movie Elf with Will Ferrell. Oh. And he's the voice of Carl in Up, the Pixar movie. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Holy jeez. And he's probably best known to the boomers, <laughs> gotta say, as uh, his character Lou Grant. He played him in the 70s 
and the early 80s. Oh, why does that sound familiar? The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Oh. And he got his own spinoff show, Lou Grant, which makes him one of the few television actors to portray the same character in both a comedy and a drama, Ooh. which is an interesting thing. Hmm. He's actually also the most honored male performer in the history of the Primetime Emmy Awards, having won seven times. Wow. That's crazy. And because I can't miss an opportunity to bring up a weird live-action Disney movie, he was in 1976's Gus, which is a movie with Don Knotts about a mule playing football. Oh, my God. I know. Before Air Bud and everything that, there was... to stop. No. <laughs> Before Air Bud, there was Mule Bud. There was Gus. You say Disney needs to stop. No, you know what Disney needs to stop? Stop making live-action remakes of your anime films. Reboot your weird buckwild 70s and 60s shit. <laughs> I want this on the screen, okay? Gosh, I just want Disney to stop in general. I'm over Disney. I've officially like lost all... All of the little twinkly, fuzzy feelings I used to feel when a new Pixar short would come out and all of the dreamatorium and the imagination factory shit. I used to be like, wow, the artists are making things. And now I'm just like, fuck Disney. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's the story of how they pulled our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Send us some cease and desist letters. Uh (laughs) Actually, interesting, uh, just so you guys know, you can actually talk as much shit as you want about Disney on a podcast so long as you don't say something that's like, you know, Disney um, has a history of like treating their employees really, really, really shitty. You have to say, allegedly, Disney has a long history of treating their employees really, really shitty. Big, giant, sarcastic air quotes while you're rolling your eyes. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, we'll wind down and get ready for our wrap-up. Yes. I just want to bring up two factoids. All right. Factoid number one. So the song I Got Lucky, which was the only one you pointed out as being one you liked, mm-hmm. uh, was written by Dolores Fuller. And she had actually been the girlfriend of Edward D. Wood Jr., Ed Wood, the guy who directed Plan 9 from Outer Space and actually appeared in many of his productions of the time. That's weird. If you know bad movies, you know Plan 9 from Outer Space. That's the granddaddy classic. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I know of it. And the movie Ed Wood by Tim Burton, of course, which like dramatized the life of Mr. Wood and his cross-dressing and all the things. Oh. Which were all factual. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Angora sweaters. He was obsessed with them. Anyways. <laughs> Factoid number two. Oh, well, I just want to finish that sentence oh. by saying she also right. wrote, apparently, for several other Elvis movies, so I guess we'll have to keep a lookout for her name. Hmm, okay. Because maybe she's the only one writing the worthwhile songs. Who knows? Yeah, well, so far, yes. That happens to be the case. Um, And then the referee for the final fight is played by a guy named Vincent Morris Shear, better known by his boxing name, because he actually was a former professional boxer, Mushy Callahan. Mushy oh, my God. Is his, you know is his nickname mushy callahan mushy callahan gross (laughs) imagine somebody called me mushy morgan hi i'm mushy morgan and i'll knock you the fuck out (laughs) Ooh, ooh! i gotta put a pin on what we were just saying because i just remembered that yeah humphrey bogart's character in the original kid galahad is named turkey morgan turkey morgan (laughs) that's his name it's true Oh my god. And he's the bad guy. So you get to see evil Humphrey Bogart before oh. he became like a leading man in the 40s. This was 37. Right. Edward G- This is funny cuz yeah, Edward Gene Robinson, who people always think of as like the gangster is the hero, he's the good guy. He's the trainer in this scenario, and then Humphrey Bogart is like the skeezball mobster that's like yeah. 
threatening him and stuff. He's like, you better throw that fight. Right. Um, yeah, the original Kid Galahad is like this one, but more noir, very much more like Michael Curtiz, black and white cinematography and like kind of a downer ending. Right. You know, someone has to die, stuff like that. Yeah, someone's got to die. Um, also, yeah, there's some weird names actually since let's just finish this off okay betty davis's character who's like the dolly uh, equivalent the girlfriend to edward g robinson that and he doesn't want to settle down yeah everyone calls her fluff in the movie fluff that's her character's name hey fluff get over here hey fluff her name is louise but everyone calls her fluff wow. no explanation given weird and the elvis character mm-hmm. in the original kid galahad is a bellhop oh. who walks into their hotel room and then gets into a fight with the champ starts starts trouble with Betty Davis, and so he punches them out in one punch, and then they're like, hey, kid, where'd you want to... Ah. So yeah, if you want to actually just like point by point, like the things that are... The structure's there. It's unknown as Plucked becomes boxing champ, yes. falls for sister of his boss who doesn't approve of this, Yes. and then they win the big fight at the end, more or less. Right. But who dies? Um, Actually, both Edward G. Robinson and Humphrey Bogart shoot each other at the end and die. Oh, shit. Yeah spoilers matt bam bam and then they both get but edward g <laughs> robinson takes a little more time to die so he can like be on his deathbed and everyone can surround him and he'd be like right we did it champ you went all the way and then at the last second i i found my morals and then i got shot and i died Blah. and then he dies and then yeah. <laughs> yeah the final shot of the movie is betty davis walking out of like the building and then just like walking into a dark alley and then it's just done weird as she like cries because she was in love with edward g robinson right what a bummer hmm. yeah <laughs> Sad. Yes. But back to Mushy Callahan. <laughs> Stop saying it. I don't want to hear that. Mushy. Stop. No, don't. <laughs> he was also the guy who trained Elvis for the fight scene and trained the people to be boxers in the movie. Oh, cool. Interesting. And here's his cred as a boxer. Okay. In his later career, he actually was a referee. So he actually has that experience. That's why he was a referee in this movie. But when the Los Angeles-based boxing world light welterweight division was created uh-huh he was the champion from 1926 to 1930 wow old school stuff damn it's pretty cool um wait did you want to talk about joey the boxer i'll talk about him he's sure. cool he's all right he's like he's the boxer that they are like they want to go forward with and then elvis knocks him out right mm-hmm. and then he's like blah i got knocked out and so instead they send him he gets better and they send him out to new york to win a fight out there and the the concept i think that they're trying to work with that character is to show elvis's growth as a boxer so in the first fight that they have together elvis beats him by luck and he's not like able to defend himself and he's not able to take any punches properly and he's you know he's just all over the place big hot mess and then when he comes back from new york they hold another fight and then you get to see how elvis has developed as a character by you know trading punches with this actual boxer okay right and that's my story he's kind of a weirdo you did yeah you didn't get like a, a vibe between those two no i think that's just remember when they're honestly, on the porch every- and then he's like come on sing with us sing with me in the voice oh yeah <laughs> and then, they, then the wait and then oh, God. during the i got lucky song he's there and he's just staring at elvis and he's got this smile on his face. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm the one finding these things now. You've corrupted me. Anyways. It could, it could be. Like, honestly, ever since Jailhouse Rock. That's the thing. I have to be like, wow, everybody is gay. And I just have to accept that. Sure. Like, anytime I see, especially in Elvis movies, large groups of men coming together, I'm like, they're all here in this Elvis movie because somebody told them they were going to be able to watch Elvis through a peephole in the dressing room. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Let's officially call final thoughts. Let's go ahead. Final thoughts. Kid Galahad holds up. You could definitely watch it if you wanted to. Um, that's it. That's all I got to say. That's my story. And if you want more of a film noir, you can track down the original Kid Galahad from 1937. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. 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 She. Yeah. She. I'm Edward G. Robinson. I'm the star of this movie. So you want to be a boxer, do you? All right. Give me your best left hook. Yeah. That's literally how it is. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? You want to date my dame of a sister? Who do you think I am? A schmuck? <laughs> I'm a boxer. See? Yeah. Ding, ding. Get at him. That's my skit. So. All right. Well, goodbye, everyone. All right. Uh, what is thank- it? Oh, wait. thank you. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. much.